Welcome to Kibi on Liberty. Justin, how's it going? Matt, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> we're in cold, rainy Washington, D.C., the belly of the beast, but uh, we first met each other physically in in the free state, the free city of Miami, Florida. Yeah, that uh, was, uh, well, I'm from San Diego, so I'm actually very keen on experiencing seasons again. I, yeah. I used to live here in D.C., so I'm, I'm used to this, but uh, I, every now and then I like to to leave that terrible 71 degree weather and experience something very unique and dark yeah that's like uh, dc and also the weather is very dark too yeah and we were at um um a meeting uh, annual gathering of the brownstone institute right. and our mutual friend jeffrey tucker um and i really love that day first of all the structure was um um one day of conversation and a dinner um I get exhausted with multiple days of, of stuff, but it, it almost felt like, um, like a safe space for people that questioned lockdowns and mass mandates and, and vaccine mandates and all the stuff that for so many years, we haven't even been allowed to utter words like that. Um, and you, you emceed most of that and, and you were talking about your book, which we're going to talk about, but just talking about the, the battle for a little bit of sanity when it came to these t- s- extreme policies that just devastated so many lives. I, I think. Do you do you think that people who were buying into that, just sort of quietly accepting some of these more extreme measures, are they are are people waking up? Are Americans waking up? I think that I think they are. I think that's a trajectory. Uh, <clears throat> I, I think during the pandemic, maybe twenty percent of people were like you and I. Uh, very uh, bombastically against these very stringent mitigations. I think there were another 20% on the other team, as we used to call them, uh, we still call them Team Apocalypse, right? Yeah. The sky is falling and you need to lock down harder. Here, let me weld you inside your apartment. Then there was another 60% in between of people who were very much like, look, I, I don't want to get in the fight. Because everyone saw the fights, whether it was a grocery aisle, on the playground, on a plane, at schools, right? And so it, it took you know it took a little courage to stick your neck out on these things because you you'd get it slapped. Yeah. But I think more and more people realize one that these were unnecessary, and two they wish they had stood up a little stronger. But you're right. I mean the these conferences that we've had now we had one of ourselves at our group uh, in October the one with Brownstone in uh, Miami a few weeks ago and we're having these um, as we as we get going which is. A very safe place because yeah. you you really don't know when you when you talk to your neighbors or friends at school, right? You ever find yourself like dropping clues, trying to understand where they stand on the issue, right? But you know, like oh these these masks, man, that's that's crazy. I hope they don't come back on again. And if they agree with you, it's like oh my gosh, you're you're one of us. Okay, yeah. here we go, right? It's a secret code, but you don't know if your neighbor, you know, that one guy who's still in his car, double masking alone. And you're like, what? What can I do to cure this? Right? Yeah, I would love to help that guy, but it, in the meantime, I'm just going to be like, yeah, no. But um, yeah, like if you go back and look at the stuff, um, I'm still proud of the very first thing I wrote. I don't write that much anymore. We we mostly produce video content, but I had to get it off my chest, and and I was actually sitting 
on a beach writing about supply chains in March of 2020. <laughs> and that's because I'm a weirdo economist and naturally I thought about these things. Um, but if you read and see the stuff that I've done and Free the People's done over the, you know, starting March 2020 to today, um, it, they're less and less forgiving for people who are irrationally afraid and just, just completely unconcerned about the damage, the economic damage, the emotional damage, um, the human damage that would be caused by this. Because I, I try, I mean, we try to be very reasonable and thoughtful, and I, I want you to understand where I'm coming from. If maybe, maybe you don't process the world through my economic lens, but if you literally stay the F home, as was the hashtag in March of 2020, a lot of people are gonna die. And it's true, and I remember my first foray, uh, I wrote an article uh, in Medium, March 9th, uh, the coronavirus dashboards will kill us all long before the virus ever will, and just talking about the bad data points, right? Because that was kind of my forte coming to this as a as a data expert and gathering other people who were like, I think, I think they've got the numbers all wrong, right? And these are completely overblown. But you're right, as, as, as I got into it, there, there are obviously a lot of fears, and I didn't want to be overtly in people's faces over that. I mean, the first foray and program we had was, uh, let's get back to work, right? Which seems an innocuous sort of thing that we could all strive for. Yeah. But eventually I dropped that facade too and just said, uh, if you come a step closer with that welding torch, it's going in your face, right? Yeah. I, I really was going, not going to let anyone put a mask on my kid again. Right. Uh, I wasn't going to let them take another year or a week away from my kids. Uh, I wasn't going to let them stand in my way for what uh, I was going to put out there because I, I saw so much of the dramatic, the dramatic impact this had on people, uh, not only in their businesses, their lives, but their emotional and, and just their American health, right? I think we just, we lost so much in that endeavor. Yeah. So you, you like me, just felt um, you, you had to, sort of take up intellectual arms and engage these irrational and dangerous ideas like you couldn't help yourself is no, that I, fair? I couldn't and, and you know I, I i cut my first teeth in the in the political sphere doing a lot of internet stuff and so we, we went back to memes i had one that went viral where i had uh a a, a skater kid in la and uh, they were filling in that famous venice uh skate park right with sand they didn't want the kids catching it, right? So they, they're filling it the, with sand. These kids are standing around going, what are you talking about? This is like our life. Yeah. And I, I had him standing in front of the bulldozer, and I compared it to Tiananmen Square. I took a lot of heat for that, but it went viral, and I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do more of this stuff where I can get people really thinking strongly about this. Uh, so we put another one together. Just you know, We, we put, do a lot of data stuff. We do a lot of memes, too. One of them was a, a, a turtle nicely swimming through the ocean and looking at a mask floating down around him and his friends, right? Think about the environmental impact of all the PPE, something that might engage other people who would otherwise ignore our message. So mm -hmm. those were some of the tactics we eventually moved to, which is like, uh, it seems like our data points, we've won the day, yeah. but we have to somewhat win the hearts and minds of people. Uh, one of the key points, of course, and I talk about this in the book is the impact on our kids. Cause you and I, we're, we're adults. Uh, hopefully we can take our anger to the to the the polling booth, but they don't have that option, right? And so uh, in the end, I said I'm I'm doing I'm doing this so at least there's a record for my kids that I stood up for them. Justin, uh, let's 
let's maybe take, take a step back and you mentioned that your group had gathered. Talk about your groups for people that don't know yeah. the sort of the, the organizational structure of, of where your battle yeah, was, yeah. was launched. You know, I, I left politics uh, in 2012, moved out back to California where I'm from, and I was doing, you know, very heavy private business stuff. I was a chief marketing officer, chief data officer. And going into 2020, I had some of my best consulting clients. I had one. It was a um, uh, a high-end golf excursion for baby boomers. Yeah. Don't laugh. And then the second one was uh, a, a platform for parents to figure out where to send their kids to college. And the third one was a a wealthy uh, vacation club for families. So you can imagine all three of those clients were dead by the time March was over. Mm-hmm. No, no baby boomers are going to go golfing anytime soon. So I had time in my hands, and I started looking at the numbers. I said, I think I think something's off. Dr. Fauci is saying one out of 100 people are going to die from this in front of Congress. I said, That's, those are not the numbers I'm seeing. So I found other people who agreed with me. We got with people at Stanford University, uh, Professor Ioannidis, uh, Jay Bachtaria, Scott Atlas. We got to know these guys very quickly who were confirming what we were thinking, too. And so we, we, I built kind of a ragtag bunch of analysts, experts, moms and dads, and uh, it was called Rational Ground. And we basically became the back end for Scott Atlas when he was at the White House trying to right the ship there. And, uh, it, you know, a lot of people gave grief to Scott. He said, he's not an epidemiologist. He's not a virologist. No, he's a, he's a darn good policy expert. And he knows how to apply science into policy. And so he was trying to get the masks off. He was trying to get the kids back into school, get rid of these quarantines, astringencies, the plexiglass, right, all those things. And we were providing him the back-end data completely pro bono. Every day we'd wake up, here's the request from Alpha. That was our secret code name for the project. Project Alpha. What does he need? He's going to Philadelphia. He needs to know the numbers there. Burks is ahead of him. And she's got an army of CDC employees who are supplying with all this gross, ridiculous data. And so we'd counter that. And he was winning the day. And then, you know, the election didn't go the way we thought it would. So he wasn't around to stick around and kind of do those things. Burks and Fauci stepped back in. He had largely marginalized them by the time the fall came. But that election was very consequential. And it led to another year or two or more of real pain for... um, Americans, kids especially. I, I was, I've always been surprised by the politics of lockdowns because I, I thought it was politically unsustainable for more than a couple weeks. And then it's a couple months, and then, then Biden becomes the president. I'm like, okay, he, he just won in part demonizing Trump's lockdown policies and, and, and sort of feeding on the damage that Trump had done. He'll stop now because he won and like he doubled down he did it was i'm like this is insane it Um, was tough you know myself i was a strong trump supporter i read the numbers i predicted he was going to win in 2016 ducks to you know much to a lot of my friends and family chagrin he won um came around to 2020 i said he looks pretty good but then it it you know the the rona hit and the policies hit and i'll never forget that day march 29th that faithful presser, uh, White House Garden, Burks, Fauci, and Trump, and the rest of them, Pence especially. Yeah. And he gets up there and says, we're extending the two-week lockdown for another 40 days. And I tweeted out, Trump just lost the election. I, I knew it. I knew it just because I, I knew demographics. I knew even if just 1% or 2 or 3% of that older population stayed home or felt a miss about this, he would lose. 
Now, there were shenanigans of the election, no doubt, but uh, in my mind, he lost that day. And um, I was, it's, it's really unfortunate he, uh, he, he, I think, was convinced by Dr. Atlas mm-hmm. that it was the wrong move, but never took any major efforts to correct things because the election was there and then he lost and it was game over. Yeah. So I, I have a theory that I'm not going to tell you yet because I want to hear your theory first. Okay. But why, why did, and, and it, coming from you, I think, I think it's, more, it's more credible as, as someone that, that supported Trump, predicted that Trump would win in 16. Um, why did the Trump administration get COVID policy wrong? For most politicians, there were very few, even Republicans, who stuck their neck out. I could probably count them on one hand. Um, Massey, Biggs, a little bit of Ted Cruz, a couple of people here and there. Of course, Governor DeSantis and a few other governors came along for the ride. I, I think, and, and Rand Paul would, would Rand be Paul, on that I, short absolutely list. Absolutely, yeah. Rand Paul, yeah. yeah. And, and so, uh, the, but there was very far and few between. And, right. and I, I think in the end, he was listening to people who were basically cowards. They were very fearful. In their minds, they really did believe that millions of people were going to die if they didn't take this action, right? And it's like, look, this is a, a viral respiratory aerosolized pathogen. You, you might as well put forth your puny arm to stop the Mississippi as you would to stop this thing, right? They really had in their mind that they were gods. They could control this thing. They bought into the Fauciism on this stuff, and they thought, we'll just go. I, I think um, I, if I were to put the blame, uh, I think the buck stops at Trump. He, he's really good at, at his gut instincts, but he's also, he, he trusts people, and a lot of people want his trust, and he trusts the wrong people. I'll tell you one person in particular who should take a lot more blame is um, Vice President Pence. Pence shepherded Burks around the country on her rainbow tour to all the governors. That's why DeWine in Ohio became a big COVIDian. Uh, it, you know, she basically convinced a lot of people of this fear. Dr. Fauci fear. All these things he bought into. And um, he he trusted the wrong people. Yeah, um, I, I had forgotten that about Pence. That's a that's a really important point because she was um, enemy number two, I guess. If if Fauci is the the Doctor Evil of of COVID lockdowns, um, I have a complementary theory to that because, and this is just just theory. I have no evidence except for what I saw at the time. Um, parallel to um, the Trump, Fauci, and often Burke's press conferences was um, the governor of New York doing his daily press gaggle uh, where he's pontificating about, and I've documented some of the more ridiculous <laughs> things he said about you know following the science and it's just facts and there's no emotions and it's and it was it was all BS of course but I think that Trump the marketer saw hmm. Cuomo killing it on the ratings yeah he's 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 killing the ratings (laughs) that's right it was was the mic yeah and he had the mic yeah and 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 this is this is i'm not just the policies but my beef is that he made fauci into a rock star by 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 platforming him and and making him the scientist that we all needed to trust um and I, i think it was it was it started off as a marketing thing and once he went down that path he couldn't turn the ship back around. Thank you for joining me today on Kibbe on Liberty and for being part of our fiercely independent audience. Every week, my organization, Free the People, partners with Blaze TV to bring you this show. My guests bring smart perspectives on everything from current events to timeless philosophical debates. If you like what you hear, go to freethepeople.org kol 
and support Kibion Liberty so we can continue to produce these honest conversations with interesting people. Now, let's get back to it. And look, you know, I say in the book, uh, we, we welcome people to this side, right? Like we, we've seen uh, major epidemiologists on CNN, like uh, Lena Wen, who, who was calling, there wasn't a lockdown and shutdown that she didn't love. But she came out and said, uh, you know, late in the game, masks are facial decorations on CNN, yeah. right? And we're like, hey, welcome to team, up, 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 welcome to team reality. There's one caveat, though. You must never have an influence on public policy again. Yeah, that's that's the trade-off. We'll, yeah. we'll forgive you, but you can't be in there again. Yeah. I mean, the the impact was so dreadful, and we we talk about this in the book. We talk about some of the stats, right? And some of them it, you'll find interesting, like on the on the economic side. I got to talk with some engineers in Vegas. Uh, they own a they, they they run a couple properties off the Vegas Strip. They spent the so they spent the spring of 2020 april and may basically walking the halls going into every single hotel room and flushing the toilet and running the loo and everything because you know legionnaire's disease and it was almost like jack nicholson in the shining uh, i think his name was michael hurtado you know michael hurtado all work and no play makes michael hurtado a very dull boy as they're walking the halls trying to you know simulate a population because even the plumbing was designed for a certain amount of gravity and water coming down and people staying there at a certain point. And then, you know, even the, the TP run, right? Yeah. The TP run was caused not necessarily by everyone going to get TP because they thought we're running out. It was because we do, if you'll excuse the phrase, half of our business at our business. And that sort of supply chain with the, you know, the massive roles that they mount onto the stadium stalls and uh, colleges or business parks that comes in on these big pallets on trucks. I mean, that was the whole supply chain that got shut down. And so they had to do something. By the way, those those marketers over at Charmin, they're very good. They, if, you, if you Google uh, Charmin Forever, they wiped it up. They, yeah, well, what they do, they repurposed all those big rolls, mm-hmm. and they, they'll send it to you with a big mounted metal rod. It'll last you a month. <laughs> I mean, but that was the funny part. The, the the dreadful parts we talk about in the books, and this kind of kind of bridges across political spectrums. We believe, Matt, that in the in the spring of 2020. We probably missed about 250,000 cases of child abuse mm-hmm. because it's typically sharp-eyed teachers and administrators that call that out and kids weren't in school. And think about even when kids got back into school, how many bruises on mom's face do we miss because she had to wear a mask at drop-off? Yeah. Right? You, you don't think about the regular sort of interactions that we have as humans and how we rely on those for morality for our civilization. And when you upend those, it, it causes chaos. It causes serious harm. Uh, these kids will never get that back. Yeah, like um, you think about it, um, it's supply chain's not the right word, but we had all of these um, cultural processes for um, managing um, problems. Right. And you described just one micro example of that. And there's unfortunately probably an infinite number of <laughs> yeah. supply chains that we broke in the process of saying, you know what, we're just we're just not going to let people kids go to school. Um, so let's uh, we've, we've teased the book, but let's let's talk sure. about this. Let's let's shamelessly flack. Fantastic. Um, gone viral. How COVID drove the world insane. I think I think your title spot on. That's a very scary looking virus right. on the cover. Um this is out how long? Uh, just a month or two. Okay. So uh, just, just out from Regnery. Um, 
this was uh, a real work of passion. I, I never thought I'd write a book on this stuff, but uh, and it was a painful thing to write through. In fact, it, it's a very accessible read, and we took a very different approach. And At first, I started kind of like a personal memoir of my experiences with Scott and everything, but then I read what was neat. What I, I thought what was needed right now was kind of that 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 library of how uh, someone comes up to me and says, "I know plexiglass was kind of a really piss poor, you know, I- intervention. Why was that?" And we go through and talk about the craziness of plexiglass, or we talk about all the data, but all the stories behind masking. Um, and we get into some of the, the crazy stories that all of us experienced, whether it was someone chasing us from a, a park or them, you know, they, they padlocked my daughter's swing set, her favorite swing set at the park for, for a year. And I just, I'm, I'm dumbfounded. Yeah. And, and, you know, the experience that people had on the ground is very different than the stats you tell, but we share both so you can sort of combine these things. But um, we, we basically take every single myth and I hope people take this to, you know, their school board, just take it to these things. Because you can see already here in the winter of 2022, they're, they're not stopping, right? They're they're starting to put masks back on kids here in D.C. What a what a terrible predicament you guys face for kids here. And in San Diego, I, I, I had it better, but not much. And, um, you know, we're, we're taking every measure we can just to make sure our kids have a normal existence. Yeah, you mentioned uh, uh, Leonard Wen, who was, uh, I guess, the top um medical expert on CNN right, right. Um, and and all of the horrible opinions she had w- when it mattered. Um, I agree with you. I mean, one of the reasons we're having this conversation is they're not going away. And I, I call it the, the COVID industrial complex. <laughs> and it's a web of, of government interests and nonprofit interests and, and corporate interests that um, all benefit from keeping us scared and, and, and um, I don't know exactly why they chose to lock your your daughter's swing set, which seems both comically stupid and unspeakably evil at the same time. But I do get um, why they want this regime to continue um, because it was a very profitable thing for them and, and they're itching for the next one. Yeah, I, I mean, you can look at this in a, a spectrum of conspiratorial lenses, right? At uh, the far extreme, people said this was planned from the beginning. It was purposely leaked, and they they had this this sort of you know doctored out. This was going to be their narrative. I said, look, these people are not that smart. It was one of the main messages I got from Scott Atlas talking to him on a daily basis. I said, maybe they're trying to save face because I'm a kind person. I like to look at the kindest. It's it's more idiocracy. Yeah, he says, Justin, no, these people are dumb. You have to know that. I'm like, oh great, but I think. When they saw the gap there, right, the fear gap, they, they took advantage of that. Yeah. I don't think they planned, but I think they absolutely inserted themselves. And they will absolutely, for the next variant, the next pandemic, the next boogeyman that they conjure up, they will use these same tactics. Every single one of these people in the press and Dr. Fauci would gladly, gladly weld you inside your apartment if they thought it would do good. Yeah. Now, they... They burn their hands off before they do what they're. They don't know how to use a. They wouldn't know how to do that. Yeah. But there you go. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it it's definitely gives you pause, because they're saying the quiet parts out loud now, but um, I I think we've got a good story to counter it. We have a good window of opportunity to bring people to this side and arm them up with this information. So, so I don't like I um I, there are definitely some dumb conspiracy theories out there about this, which um I think, the the willful covering up, 
of of the story and the demonization of of Kaldorf and Bhattacharya and the Great Barrington Declaration makes people think that there's something funny going on. But I think, you know, when I talk about the COVID industrial complex, I'm just talking about the natural process of 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 special interests to game the system. Yeah. So they they, you know, I don't think they're gonna go release another virus. Hopefully they're not that evil, but um, they would love to keep the cash flowing. And that, that to me is not a conspiracy. That's how the world works. Sure, it's always. It, they're they're greatly incentivized along yeah. those lines. Well you think about, for example, these hospitals, right? And there's a strange set of incentives there. You shut down the most profitable parts of these hospitals, the elective surgeries, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of people would throw uh, dirt on these hospital administrators saying they're bilking us. But if you look at it from their perspective, any hospital administrator worth their salt is like, okay, how am I going to make up that money, right, and keep myself intact? I mean, we had probably three dozen hospitals, rural and otherwise, shut down during the pandemic because they just, you know, show me a hospital that's under 75% capacity and I'll show you a hospital going out of business. Yeah. And these ERs were not crowded. I mean, they, they had time for a lot of good dance routines, right? And so these are these are myths that we try to bust in the book and we try to bring it to the perspective of, oh, what do you do now? Now, you know, I, I could be very wrong. I mean, there, there are things in this pandemic that I never thought would be planned or particulated. And now I'm like, yeah, hey, the, the puck is headed there. We'll see. Um, but we don't have like kind of that, Margaret Sanger letter, you know, to the Reverend that kind of gives him, you know, the the head of Pfizer doesn't have a letter out there telling me he's ready to reduce the population and just activate the five G on this. No, it's not happening. But yeah, um, there are definitely forces out there who want you to share a bike with your three neighbors and eat insects the rest of your life. And this is just sort of they, they're very very pleased yeah. with the way that people have, rep- have responded. I, I mean, I, I think, again, it's not, I don't think this is big C conspiracy as so much as they saw an opportunity to exploit a crisis right. to promote the things that they were already promoting. And they have, they have all these ideas that are, that are sort of centrally planned things. The, the one that's, that's most interesting to me, and I'd be curious to see what you think about this, when um, Jay Bhattacharya was on the show, um, you know, one of the mysteries has always been like, where did Fauci get so much power? And why does he make so much money? And um, all that stuff. And and Jay, who has been in public health and epidemiology uh, preceding this, he's like, there was an explosion in funding in NIAID to deal with bioterrorism. And this is a fact, and you can read Art uh, Fauci himself worrying about um, um, a Republican takeover in whenever it was, um, that he was worried that their huge budget increases every year were going to go down. So I do think there's there's a little bit of fatal conceit in, in what um, government scientists were imagining they could accomplish. In, and so I've the more and more that I've read and the more and more that um, Fauci and Collins, the, the revelation of how desperately they were trying to demonize their critics, um, I, I think there's there's serious culpability um, in um, the government science community for what's happened to us. Oh, absolutely, and you know you look at just one issue that Jay breaks up, uh, where Dr. Collins, who's the former director of uh, the NIH, and and Dr. Fauci are on the the group that actually decides the funding for all the grants. And so here are people that are setting policy, 
mm-hmm. and funded grants. You know, if you had a, a group going through to test like the efficacy of masks and it was going to lean in a different way, what are the chances of you getting money on that? Probably zero, right? We right. need to cut that off. But look, I, I, if you look at the writings of Dr. Fauci over the years, he's been writing about the last four decades. He mostly writes with one gentleman named David Morantz, but trying to get an interview with this guy. Because uh, they started out, like, and you can see over the years their frustration with the infectious diseases that keep coming up and they can't seem to quell it. And then they get all this power and praise where Dr. Fauci in his emails is talking about how Brad Pitt's going to play him in the movie. And then... It comes to September 2020. He writes a very, very I don't see the likeness, by the no, way. No, not quite. But but he, he talks about how, you know, isn't it possible that we can bend modernity to our will? Yeah. And so they really do see themselves as, you know, this God character that can sort of maneuver these pieces. And, of course, this becomes a, a very likable thing for politicians. I mean, the reason that Dr. Fauci flipped on masks was politicians needed a, a scapegoat, right? Uh, the cases are going up, Matt. Uh, why aren't you masking hard enough? Oh, cases are going down. Thank you so much for masking. You're so kind, right? And and this became a tool for governors, for county administrators to use as, well, it's the behavior of these peons underneath us. Yeah. And what's crazy is you go back, and I talk about this in the book, you go back 100 years to the Spanish flu. You go 400 years back to the plague in Milan, and the same things haunted them. Just mass chaos. And um, I, I think there's a lot. I, I had a Newsweek article this last week on just Dr. Fauci not learning the lessons of past pandemics and that fear is not the way. And that we've tried all these things before. If you made it this far into the show, it means I must be doing something right. Kibbe on Liberty is just one of the amazing products we created for the people. We tell emotionally compelling stories and produce educational videos for the Liberty Curious. Our award-winning documentaries personalize all things liberty, independence, creativity, hard work, integrity, and perseverance. After the show, check out our work at freethepeople.org. And if you like what you see, donate to support what we do. That's freethepeople.org. Now back to the show. Yeah. I've, you know, I've called it uh, scientism, this, and, and that phrase from that journal article, bending modernity, um, I, I think about it, and, and Jay and I talked about this because he's an economist as well. So he's, he's a scientist, but he also understands Frederick Hayek, who, who, who talks about the fatal conceit of planners and the arrogance to think you could basically redesign um, humanity and the earth and our environment and how our bodies react to infectious diseases and how natural immunity functions. Um, it sounds crazy to think you could do things like that. And, it, and to me, it invokes like um, when Mao Zedong decided that insects were a problem. Like he couldn't grow enough crops because right. there were too many ins. I'm getting this backwards. There were too many birds. Oh, okay. Um, and so he had um, the little Chinese communist uh, kids kill all the birds. And there's, there's, there's documentary video, video footage of this. What happens when you kill all the birds? No one eats the insects. And so it was a godlike um, belief, and he, he would f- call it this way, a godlike belief that um, fixing, micro-tuning um, the earth is something that man can perfect. And I think Fauci's got a little bit of that, a lot of that arrogance in him to think that we can, we can make viruses go away. 
Right. Like that's that's nuts. No, it isn't. I think that's that's part of the problem. Is they, it, it is that that very basic uh, sort of uh, passion that goes back to even Lucifer, which is I I don't want to lose a single soul here. Right. We're gonna we're gonna make sure no one dies, and you're all gonna obey my will. And that really is their conceit. But when you look at some of these issues now, and you realize they're papering over the the damage we're going, because the, the first people to come to us and say, hey, I, either COVID has cured cancer or something else is happening altogether, were oncologists in spring of 2020 who said, we're diagnosing half as many patients now. That's going to end in stage three and stage four cancers, right? Because people were too scared to go to the hospital. I, I got a text message from a friend of mine, Orange County. Or, or they weren't allowed to go to the hospital that's right, that's right. an aspect as well yeah yeah so that that fear drove them and this friend of mine said my his parents both died one from an undiagnosed cancer one from an undiagnosed blood disease they were they were too scared to get treatment because they were told again and again don't go to the hospital we got to flatten the curve yeah and, and those have real impacts when you see like the, the cdc tracks this stuff like how many people died at home versus died you know in the hospital and there were a lot of people who suffered through cuts infections and would later die at home because they they just didn't want to go in and, and be the problem person, right? Yeah, you mentioned um, earlier like um, this mythology that hospitals were overwhelmed, and surely there were hospitals that were overwhelmed, um, but this idea that hospitals would sit around with excess capacity, that, that's, that's called bankruptcy in, yeah. other, in other businesses. <laughs> so when you have some, I'll pick on Cuomo because he's easy to pick on and he's, he's now disgraced, but you know, when you react, when you're a politician that knows nothing about medical service, certainly nothing about hospital management, and you mandate that we're going to prioritize COVID over X. He doesn't even know what X is because right. there's an infinite number of reasons you might have to go to the hospital and, and he couldn't possibly know if it's life-threatening or not. So there, there was very much a lot of government bullying on hospitals, so it was a combination of fear. Like, were you afraid to go to the hospital and get COVID, so you skipped your your cancer exam, or did some bureaucrat decide that you weren't a priority right now? Right. And and I, I don't know how we ever sort that all out, but we will find. Um, and and I know you document this book, everything from from the mental health of kids to cancer and heart disease, which are still like the number one and number two killers, um, cardiovascular disease. Um, and after that, somewhere down the line, once we sort through the data, is going to be COVID. But you can't like um, postpone other health problems in order to deal with one. Right. And, and look, you know, we, we haven't even touched on the third rail of healthcare politics, which is the vaccines. And that was difficult for us to touch, too, when we looked at this thing, because we had grown accustomed here in the U.S. that the minute you sort of, you know, shy into that ground, you're immediately, you know, branded uh, an anti-vaxxer. Like, I've got eight kids, and they they all took the, the right, you know, vaccines when they were kids. We used to span them out and everything else. But I'll tell you, um, you know, when I look at this stuff now, and knowing how the sausage is made, I keep thinking, well, tell me some other things, right? right. I, I, I don't trust these things, and I think um, it's been a huge, like, gaping gulf, black hole now between citizens and uh, their healthcare providers who really haven't been upfront with them and the you know the people above them have been honest with them there's just a lying to seats all around and, and it really it creates a real real 
challenge in society. I'll give you one example. It, it used to be if you were, you know, kids in school, your vacation went a little long, right? You'd call in and say, hey, Johnny's sick. He's not coming in today, right? Now you can't do that. The minute you say Johnny's sick, it's like two COVID tests and everything else there. So you just fib the other way. So when, when they are sick, you go, oh, no, he's just he's taking a personal day, right? Because you don't want to be the, the guy who comes back and tests positive for these kids who have absolutely no risk for COVID, yeah. right? And then the whole, you know, the whole class has to quarantine because you tested the kid; they made you right. It, 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 when you make parents into liars to keep their kids in school, you, you got a you got a societal problem. This is a, a, um, speaking of vaccines and particularly um, the the COVID vaccines mRNA. Um, this is a very divisive issue for libertarians because on the one hand. Um, we celebrate medical innovation, and we celebrate what um, what a free market society has done um, to allow us to live longer and healthier lives. And I'm personally, and most people, like my life is here. I'm alive today because of medical innovation. Um, but there was also this, um, and it goes back to sort of Fauci's controlling of the funding of research and essentially the socialization of, of both the production and the distribution and ownership of the vaccine, um, I think the whole, the whole system's corrupt now. And I think if I was a vaccine company, big multinational, and I could convince governments to mandate that people use my product, I'd probably go for that. But that in no way um, reflects a market where people are, are making choices and there's informed right. consent and there's competition amongst producers. No, it's like, this is the one. Oh, by the way, we, the government, were heavily involved in creating this thing. Um, you're going to take it, and you're going to get boosted. So, I, like, I, I, maybe I sound like an anti-vaxxer now, but I think you should be skeptical again of, of a very centralized, politicized process that has no um, relationship to um, the usual um, choice-based consumer of medical services thing that we believe in. Yeah, look, and it's easy to get ahead of yourself on these issues. We, but we know for a fact, for example, the vaccines are causing issues with menstrual cycles. Um, there are immune complexes where young kids who have already recovered from COVID and now have this stuff flowing through them, they don't know how to do it. And then, of course, there's the other stuff, the myocarditis, which is well-attested. Beyond that, the clots are still kind of out there. We need to figure out what's going on. But I tell you, you know, if you had to bet against it, put down money against those sort of blood clots that have been prominent in a couple movies and everything, I don't know that I put money against it. I mean, the way that, that the history has gone there. But these things have to be borne out the right way. But in the end, like this data is so slow to come out and they're parsing it, right? So my uh, my social media accounts, for example, just like many of my colleagues like Jay and otherwise were taken down right around the time that Jen Psaki is over the pulpit saying that they're working with Facebook and Twitter. Were you banned on Twitter? I was banned on Twitter. I was kicked off, but I formed a, a legal group that, that took me under their wing and we're suing the government. We just got back all our FOIAs. Um, but we're going to have some fun in this next little bit. We got, you know, Elon obviously making a lot of fuss. And I think... Um, we, uh, it, what may happen by the time this airs, I think we're, we're going to settle with Twitter. They're going to give me all the details on what happened with me, and I'm going to use that against the government. Because yeah. it's like one thing, look, these are private companies. I don't have a lot of recourse. But the minute the government uses them as a proxy to silence me, that's a First Amendment violation. That joint action is something we're going to look very strongly at. Because, uh, you know, when it comes to the issues that we saw, even in the FOIAs now, where they're saying, hey, this person's talking about menstrual issues. Take that down. Really? Turns out that was true, right? So 
these are issues that I think have real big implications. And, and we talk about in the book, you know, how, how is it you're going to fight these things? And hopefully we bring, you know, more converts to the cause, if you will, who come to realize they, they made that mistake. Now, that last one, that vaccine issue is really difficult. It, it's one thing to admit, hey, I was wrong on masks. I was wrong on lockdowns. I see your way. But 90% of people got a shot or more. That stuff's still flown around with them. There's a lot of cognitive dissonance that goes into saying, I think it's bad for me. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I can't blame anyone for not jumping on board and trying to stick their neck out on these issues. But when it comes to these freedom issues, we may have to. Yeah, like um, this, uh, I think what Elon's doing at Twitter is fascinating. And I I have friends um, from sort of the Silicon Valley world that um, very much believe that he's doing it for the right reasons, meaning he, he wants the truth to come out. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't always put all my eggs in the basket of trusting a billionaire to do the right thing because, you know, be whatever, I don't know what his motives are, but um, he does seem to be hell-bent on, on an open and transparent process. And, and we're going to keep following those breadcrumbs to that government official that made these, these tech um, sensors an offer that they couldn't refuse. And they do it quite explicitly on, in press conferences. Elon has been threatened by all these politicians now. At Kibbe on Liberty, freedom is a lifestyle 24-7. Something you live and breathe and wear every day. If that describes you, you need the very best Liberty swag in the market today. Just like this shirt I happen to be wearing. Go to freethepeople.org slash KOL and check out our exciting merch. You too can love Liberty and look cool. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a really intriguing factor on so many levels, uh, but uh, again, I guess the cost of truth is about forty four billion dollars. So yeah. we'll we'll see how this comes out. Um, but I, I, there's some promising things that have been uh, foretold to me, and I, I hope they come to fruition. So we have some type of transparency, clarity, some you know some light on this issue because we can't we can't let this happen again. That's kind of our next role as we've been taking the book and its measures to say, all right, how do you how do you organize people to say. Well, you know, you're not going to be doing this to my kid again. I guarantee that, right? You are not going to be forcing a mask on my preschooler. Yeah. And so I have to send her to speech therapy now, right? That's Those are real impacts in my life. They don't get back those years. Um, someone's going to have to pay for that. Yeah. There is, um, I don't know if you've read it, and I'm now trying to remember the name of this um, national security memorandum that the Biden administration released, um, which is their, their COVID response, not COVID, but pandemic response right. plan. And it's a national security memo, and it, it goes back to this, this, this <laughs> idea that that perhaps this was all intended as a biosecurity response um, that that has gone poorly. But the way I read it, and the way that Jay Bhattacharya reads it, is that the government, the not just the Biden administration, but all of these unfireable bureaucrats, they're they're preparing to double down. There's going to be more aggressive testing. There's going to be um, a vaccine ready within some ridiculously short period of time for the next challenge. Um, and in order to do all those things, they have to do exactly what they did this time, but harder. So I don't think anybody's anybody that did this to us is not thinking, I'm not, I'm not going to do that again. That was crazy. They're thinking, I'm going to double down because we just didn't do it hard enough. Well, look, they're, they're hoping that 
time heals all wounds and that people will forget about this and then they can bring it back again. Now they can't. They've tried this several times, you know, try to mask up an entire college and people, you know, sort of rose up and said no. Yeah. And but I don't I don't know how long that lasts. And so the idea is like we need to codify some of these. I'll give you an example. Um, this is an article I wrote for uh, it, it went on Fox News the other day and it was about a 46 year old woman uh, down syndrome, largely nonverbal. Her sister is her caretaker and her life. This is early April 2020. Taken to a hospital, ER, COVID, respiratory disease, not sure what's going on. They take her in the back. Sister goes to go with her. You can't come back here. She would never see her sister again. For the next 10 days, they would try to get information. What's going on? She she had no idea what was going on. They basically said goodbye to her on FaceTime over an iPad in the parking lot of the hospital. They read her charts later and find out she was so disturbed and upset they had to restrain her with straps. She was strapped to her gurney. <laughs> I get emotional. She was strapped to her gurney for, for 10 days. Yeah. And then died, not having anyone around her, of having any clue what was happening. She had no idea what medicines they were giving her. And uh, when I when I see that, I go, I'm, I'm going to get justice for, uh, for Franca. Yeah. That I read that... Um I, I think you first talked about this on Twitter and then you wrote this up and and what I thought at the time that it it is so horrifically inhumane I think about how it's possible that healthcare workers could think that's okay um, I'm sure there was a rule or a mandate or something or just just practices but how could someone that that got into medicine to help people do that to somebody I don't so there's some sort of crazy um, groupthink that's that's deadly evil in that story yeah I, I mean it goes back this is sort of we never learned from the history right even 400 years ago i mentioned milan italy i talk about this in the book and how they got so scared they burned everything that was soiled there was rumors that uh there were foreign forces coming into the city to whitewash the walls and anoint the benches as they say in italian with water infected water to spread it further a gentleman's in church this one journal entry has it he gets up from praying. He goes to brush off his pew. People immediately attack him, thinking that he's anointing the bench. Take him outside. The journal entry ends. I don't think he could have survived very many moments later. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we, we have these histories that are replete there. It goes back to even biblical times. There's a, a, a rabbinical story that's passed down about the people of Noah, the, the people that he left behind were, you know, not God's favorite people. It said when the waters rose... Uh, these are the people who didn't make it on the ship, right? Uh, they, they put their children to their hips. When it rose to uh, their chest, they put their children on their shoulders. But when the waters rose to their neck, they put their children under their feet so they could survive. There are times when I felt like these health officials did that to my kids. Right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, a, it's a wrenching thing when you, when you realize you get that call from school and they say, uh, yeah, someone tested positive. And you tell your daughter you're not going to school for 10 days. Yeah. And then I tell my next daughter you're not going to school. From November Thanksgiving of 2021 till January of 2022, we had a kid at home every single day because of stupid exposure rules, right? Quarantining the healthy people, thinking that somehow they could contact trace their way out of this nonsense. And it was, I mean, you know, we, we were all shut out of schools in the spring of 2020 and the fall of 2020. That winter of 2021 was worse because it was like quarantine and shut down by proxy, and he never knew it was coming. 
it drove parents crazy. I think that's when we won a lot of our converts to that cause, which is making sure that this we're we're, we're just not going to allow it to happen again. Yeah. And I, I want people to to get both passionate about it, but also just um, we're, we're going to have to bridge that olive leaf and bring people over to to show them what's going on and hopefully come to some better agreement on this thing. You know the the the, the stories about the horrible things that people do when they're scared. Um, I probably naively thought that Americans were better than that. No, we we scared people into horrible behavior, and I think those hospital workers are just a one of an infinite number of examples of that. Um, teachers behave the same way. So yeah, you got to you got to push on. And uh, how's how's this going? Like, um, are you are you? tearing up the world with sales it's going really well i mean I, I, what's great is like uh this book and this entire endeavor has bridged political divides uh i think um you had jennifer Sayon, very good friend of mine we come from completely different backgrounds and yet we're the best of friends now yeah and because it's amazing how quickly those um those bridges can be built when it's the same person coming after your kids, right? Sales of the book are going well. Um, lots of people on Kindle and Audible wanting to take this with them and understand things very quickly uh, and make it a very accessible book. I mean, I've had people come back and say, I read this like overnight. I couldn't stop. And, and some people said it was a painful read because they can't believe we did this. Yeah. But it was, it kind of gave them the battlements that they need to remind themselves what they went through. But there's also people who are, you know, seeing this for the first time and just starting their journey back from that darkness and I hope they'll take that book so they can get it. Uh, you can get it. You, if you go to GoneViralBook.com, GoneViralBook.com will take you right there to Amazon to buy it. But um, we, we've gotten some great feedback, and it's been a, it's been a, I never thought I would write a book. This was a trajectory in my life I never expected. Yeah. I was very happy in my very consulting life just, you know, dealing with baby boomers who wanted to go golfing. Yeah. But uh, I think we had other plans, so. Well, sometimes people step up, and I, I've been talking about this a lot. People that stuck their necks out. I, I, you know, we. Um, someone was trashing someone else on Twitter for calling Jay Bhattacharya a hero. I'm like, are you kidding me? He bet everything to do the right thing, and I'm like, somebody's got to do that. And this book is great for. Um, I love the structure because um, the chapters are quite simple, and if you want to dig in deeper, you can go into the footnotes and. And if you really want to dig deep, you can look at the spreadsheets and all that stuff. Um, well, good luck with this, and I'm glad we had a chance to talk about it. And uh, let's never let this happen again. Thanks, Matt. And next time, I'll, I'll bring San Diego weather with me, okay? Please do. Right. Yeah. Thanks for watching. If you liked the conversation, make sure to like the video, subscribe, and also ring the bell for notifications. And if you want to know more about Free the People, go to freethepeople.org.